Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to Power Players, powered by Radio.com. I'm your host, Danielle McCartan, DMC. And here in this episode 10 I have another very special guest for you. We're about to welcome in Denise White, who is the founder and CEO of EAG Sports Management. We'll talk about how Denise started her own company 25 years ago when there weren't any others like hers in existence, never mind run by a woman. In fact, Denise is known as the fixer to those in the sports world, and she'll talk about her crisis management work for professional athletes. We'll talk about athlete activism, and athlete activism on company time. Which A-list actress is set to play her in an upcoming feature film? And so much more. Buckle in, everyone. This was a fun one. Denise, thanks so much for stopping by today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. EAG Sports Management, a company you started on your own in 1996. Just for the listening audience, could you differentiate between an agent, a publicist, and your line of work? So we aren't either in the sense of that's all that we do. We're a management firm that handles everything off the field, off the court, outside of the octagon for the athlete. So we have divisions within our company. Uh, We're heavy on the PR though, right? Uh, A big majority of what we do is public relations, crisis management for our um, athletes that we work with. Um, The other division is marketing. We also help them philanthropically with their nonprofits handle them day to day, and just manage every aspect of their lives. An agent is the one that's handling their financial contract with the team. We negotiate our players' television deals, their marketing deals, their signings, all of that good stuff. But the one thing we don't touch is the players' contract for a lot of reasons. We're really comfortable with where we're at and what we're doing, and I'm fortunate to really love what I do. But that's the difference. The agent is the one that's handling the players' contract. More so than not, they don't have the um, capacity to handle all the stuff we do, nor do they want to because a lot of it isn't necessarily financially lucrative. You got to love what you do to do a lot of what we do. So the agent really most of the time concentrates on just the players' contracts. At the time, there were no other companies like yours out there. How were you able to recognize the need for that niche? 
You know, I started working with one gentleman at the time. He had just signed a deal with the Kansas City Chiefs Hall of Famer now, Tony Gonzalez. And while I was working with him, I realized, although I was doing what I'm doing now subsequently for entertainers at that time, I realized that when I started working with Tony, that even though he had an agent, and he had one of the best agents at the time, don't get me wrong, he had Lee Steinberg, who now handles like Patrick Mahomes and a lot of other... Um, notable athletes but at the time he had Lee Steinberg and he was really a small fish in a large pond and although Lee had a staff Tony wasn't getting the attention that he needed at the time or wanted more importantly and so he asked me if I could do what we were doing for the entertainers for him and I said well you know don't you have an agent and he's like yeah but my agent really doesn't handle any of this stuff and if they do it's for the prime guys right like the Steve Youngs and the Brent Favre's of the world so I said yeah let me take a stab at it and what I found when I started working it with Tony is not only did I love doing that for an athlete but I loved sports more than I liked entertainment and I also found that there was many more athletes that really needed my services versus entertainers that not that they didn't necessarily need my services but athletes were getting taken advantage of by agents by crooked financial planners by just about everybody under the sun because you get these kids who come out of college and they're not necessarily prepared to handle all of these things and so they trust people without vetting them and so I found that there was definitely a place for me not only with the services to provide the athlete but also my intuition my knowledge and my reliability to help them get what they needed and also protecting them at the same time. I can't imagine 1996 now. There were many other female peers that you had when you started. I assume pretty much none. So was that a challenge for you when you first began? Or that did that oh. differentiate you, make you stand out? Well, it was very much a challenge. It still is sometimes today. Uh, being a woman in a male-dominated industry, there was no one like me at the time. There was no company like mine at the time. And ironically, sadly enough, we are the only company in place that handles the type of athletes that we do that is still only female owned. There isn't another company like ours out there that's as successful as we are in this space at this time owned by a woman. I still think we have a long ways to go. Although we've climbed mountains, we just haven't climbed the tallest one yet. And as we're trying to like, uh, as people like to say the cliche, break the glass ceiling, we made many strides. I, people call me somewhat of a pioneer and I appreciate that. It also makes me feel a little old. But as far as from starting from 1996, when there was no women doing what I was doing as far as for professional athletes. And now there's more, right? There's more female agents, there's more female managers. Women are understanding that they can work in this space and be effective and be utilized and not be gender-based. But it's male-dominated, it's still run by males. And men, some, not all, because I've had some great men mentors in this business, but some men still feel very threatened by women. So it's easy to knock us down and marginalize us based off of our gender versus off of our work. So in 1996, there was nothing like this, and there still isn't a lot of what this looks like, EAG and, and our company, female-owned company. But we're working, and I'm hoping that as time goes on, women really, because it still is a, a struggle, and sometimes women don't engage in a business when they see it to be a struggle. And I'm used to fighting the fight. I always expect people to join in in that fight. They don't necessarily always want to be part of that fight. So I'm urging women to not be hindered by the struggle of working in a male-dominated industry and open it up so that it won't be a 
struggle later on down the road. And you know, I, I couldn't help but notice, but your website lists your staff members and six of them are women. I'm garnering now that that was on purpose on your behalf. Yeah, I mean, I promote women. I, I hire women. I, I It's not like I don't hire men, but I really champion for women. Um, majority of my staff over the past 23 years has been all women-based. And that's because women don't seem to get that fighting opportunity to work in this space. You know, people sometimes say I'm tough, I'm hard to deal with, whatever it may be, because it's easy to say that rather than say I'm a great negotiator or she's really firm and standing her ground. But I'm really concentrated on bringing women up with me, teaching them and giving them the opportunities that I didn't necessarily have or someone helping groom me and having someone to look up to that was my same gender. I think after all that, it made me think of a song by Taylor Swift. Have you ever heard this song? Because I think it should be your theme song, The Man. (laughs) Oh no, I haven't. Okay, as soon as you hang up, you have to download Taylor Swift, The Man. I'm telling you, you're going to love it. Oh, okay, I will, absolutely. So the 25 fifth anniversary of your company now do you have a big party planned i mean how's this going in the covid (laughs) that um i don't think we're going to be doing any partying maybe that'll have to be for next year and you know what's really funny is i lose track of time i lose track that oh my gosh it's been this long and also sometimes i don't necessarily like to say i've worked this long because then it lends to my age and that's just a little bit of self-deprecation there (laughs) but danielle i'm so blessed and i'm so honored to do what i do and be able to help the athletes that i help whatever that help may be some need more help than others i feel super blessed and honored to be able to do what i do and, and continue to do it and help where I can help. How have the needs of your athletes changed over the past 24, 25 years? Oh, wow. A lot. Some have remained the same. The little things like I need help with, you know, my family, my financial advisor, my agent. Some of those things have remained the same. In a sport, you have these hills to climb when it's getting the right team around the athlete. And when I say team, I mean his personal team. But things that have changed when social media opened up, boy, did that change for us. We are a PR firm and we are crisis management company and because of social media it has put a microscope and not necessarily a true microscope or a positive one on the people that we represent anybody in a high profile position whether that be an athlete or an entertainer and because of that it has opened up our athletes for scrutiny and also for judgment that might not necessarily be factual you have social media and somebody can complain something about an athlete and it not be factually true but then you have to do cleanup because people don't know that per se the time allotted to react to a situation for an athlete has immensely changed from days and weeks to minutes and seconds and how we respond has immensely changed because social media and the internet basically didn't have, didn't really exist when I first started which right. makes me sound even older especially to the Millennials it's definitely changed in certain areas and some areas have stayed the same I guess I mean we've all seen it I don't even have to name names but we've all seen it where these old tweets or these videos magically re- surface what's your role when social media works against an athlete in that capacity well we have to clean it up sometimes athletes you know and i and i think we're all subject to it we're acting out of emotion or it's a knee-jerk reaction or a knee-jerk tweet or i can't believe you said that about me i'm going to respond and i always tell my athletes and sometimes i have to take my own advice is take a breath before you respond because you all of a sudden want to defend yourself right or someone saying something because everybody is you know an armchair quarterback when it comes to social media they can say whatever they they want and regardless of whether it's true or not it's now out there in the universe 
but that goes the same for the athlete responding to it. Depending on what it is, whether it's a real crisis situation or just a stupid tweet that was misinterpreted or he just said it and we've got to take it back, you have to like put a game plan together for what that situation is. Every situation is different, so every game plan will be different. You just have to like plan, plan ahead and more importantly now, monitor the athlete's social media as well. Part of making sure that doesn't happen is staying close to your athlete's social media accounts and monitoring them so you know what's going on so they're not affected or we don't have something we have to clean up because either they tweeted something or someone saying something negatively about them. Like preventative measures. Yes, exactly. Today, we've got this never-ending news cycle right here on our phones. Just open up your phone. It's refreshed, especially on Twitter. Every, you know, there's new tweets coming out, thousands, hundreds of thousands per minute. But if, if something happens in the middle of the night, like what has been the most jarring middle of the night call that you've gotten? Like, oh my God, help me, Denise. Oh gosh. I mean, because I do crisis management, I can't, I can't necessarily tell you the exact situations, but I've been woken up in the middle of the night with athletes in jail, athletes in a car accident, allegations of improprieties with an athlete. I mean, I've been woken up in the middle of the night for just about everything. You know, you deal with it as it comes. You know, back in the day before social media existed, we were able to try to keep things quiet until we could wrap our hands around it and figure out what it was. These days, not so much. These days, you're up and you're dealing with it immediately because once it hits social media or the news, it's gone, right? Like, there's no putting genie back in the bottles. You have to be prepared what, how to respond or when to respond to whatever crisis situation an athlete has gotten himself into. But I've been woken up for just about everything. (laughs) So I guess, I mean, what's your role when like these accusations against your client are, are real? They are true. They are provable. Maybe there's video evidence. What kind of strategy is that now? Well, I mean, I always say that some of the best things you can do is be honest in those situations and ask for forgiveness and and get help. You know, whether it's a drunk driving situation and you clearly might have an alcohol addiction problem, people like a comeback story and they like when they see people getting help. Brushing it under the rug isn't necessarily productive these days, right? People like to see you you know we all have problems right we all i have a problem with sugar i love to eat sugar and although that's not a criminal offense it is my vice we all have vices we all know what those vices are and what could potentially become of them i could really gain a lot of weight and then and I have a health issue and so for an athlete if he's you know has a drug addiction or he's an alcoholic or he has a mental health issue you, you've got to like have a plan for all of those and so when an athlete is accused of something and it's true and I come from a different area some people in my position won't agree with me but my position has always been you can't explain away a video you can't explain away pictures what you got to do is fix it you got to get help and you've got to fix it. And I will be honest with you, there are those instances that you're going to have to take a beating when it comes to public opinion, depending on what it is. People call me the fixer, but I'm the first one to tell everyone that you can't fix everything. Sometimes you just have to let time pass because time heals all wounds. Even, I mean, even if you look at Michael Vick, he's not nobody I would have represented because I have a problem with anything to do with babies and animals. If you hurt something defenseless, I have a problem with that. But regardless, he has made amends. He has tried to do good in his community and he knows what he did was wrong and therefore he's changed his way. But there wasn't any fixing that at the time. When he was found to be in possession of dogs and a dog fighting ring and these dogs were killed and died 
There was no twisting that around, making it sound good, or fixing it. The only thing that was going to fix that, the only thing, and it is proven to be, was time. There's just things that aren't going to be fixable, and that was one of them. So yeah, I mean, it really depends on the on what it is that you're dealing with. Yeah, you know, I did want to ask you about Michael Vick, but then I think about it maybe differently too. Like if he say he was your client at the time, hypothetically, like conversely, like wouldn't you? be the role of reformer to those guys because you care so much about kids and animals? Well, yes, but yes and no. With that, see, there's a thing where an athlete goes out and he drunk drives and he kills somebody, right? He didn't plan on doing that. Although in the back of his mind, he knows you shouldn't drink and drive, but it wasn't a planned situation. When you're actively dogfighting, you actively see dogs in pools, electrocute them, like that's planned. That is premeditated murder of an animal. And that takes a certain type of person to do something like that. It's a personal choice on my part. For that, I can't get down with. I can't be a part of premeditation. And I'm talking about a helpless individual, someone that can't cry out for help, an animal, a child. When there's premeditation involved, my ethics, I mean, and I have them, that's something that I can't be a part of. And that, like I said, is a personal choice. There's some crisis managers out there that will take on any case, no matter what it is. There are, I do have some boundaries, and that's one of them. And you're right, there is an opportunity for me to help form and I do a lot of that with my current guys. I have a guy right now who's in alcohol treatment, helped him get there. I have another guy who's getting help from a mental health care facility because he's having mental health issues and those are guys I help get in by mentor them to help seek help and I do a lot of that, a lot of that but there are just some things where I draw the line and if I had First of all, I wouldn't have been representing a, a man that I knew was dog fighting. first and foremost. Would have never done it. You can't own dogs with me and me not know something about that because I'm so intertwined into your life. So I wouldn't have represented him in the first place. But had I found out about it, I probably would have resigned because I wouldn't have stood for it. As much as I agree with you on helping reform athletes, and I do do that on most cases in crisis management situations, there's a couple things that I do draw the line at. You know, and this whole, the fixer, and we'll get into the movie that they're going to make about you, but have you ever told an athlete that walked through your door that you just could not represent them? No, no, I haven't. I've only fired two. One was because he had a family member that we had to deal with that we just couldn't. He was very abusive, verbally, not physically, to me and my staff, and we wouldn't stand for that. And then another one who unfortunately had a mental health problem he wasn't willing to get help for, and again was abusive to my staff. And, you know, you can't help someone that doesn't want to get help. And so we ended up resigning from him. But for the most part, I've been able to help everyone that's needed it that's come through my doors. I've only had to, like I said, let a couple athletes go once we got their business, because then we were able to kind of see why they were having issues in the first place. And they weren't necessarily taking our instruction. And if we can't help you, then we don't understand why you're with us, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you won't take our advice, you hired us. And if you're not willing to take the advice and the help, then it's kind of not effective to be with us. What fuels your propensity to want to rescue or, or fix these athletes? Until maybe about three years ago, I couldn't answer that question. Just my answer would be for the love of what I do. I too am someone that seeks outside help just for sanity reasons. And I have a counselor that I speak to quite often. And what it came down to 
really is I was a foster child and I was in a very bad situation as a child and I ended up having to save myself. I had a mentally ill mother, a twin sister. We were both taken away from my mother because of her situations. We were abandoned quite a few times and I had a really rough early on childhood and I think there's a part of me that wants to save people because I'm really doing the same thing for myself. There wasn't anyone to really save me until I finally got with my grandmother and she was my guiding light. I feel like I think I do it because I want people, more importantly the athletes, to have a fighting chance when there's no one in their corner. And I know how that feels. So a part of it is personal to me. And the other part is because I really enjoy what I do. Do you agree or disagree? All publicity is good publicity. Ah, disagree. (laughs) I disagree. Not all publicity is good publicity. That might have been prior to social media, but not now. Absolutely not now. This is kind of my main intrigue here. It's it's hard to ignore it now, like pretty much more than ever with the advent of social media, 24-hour news cycle. Athletes are more than athletes today. Do you think that athletes who take a political position are creating divisiveness in sports, whatever league it is. Not at all, because athletes aren't just athletes, they're people, and they have a phenomenal platform, and that platform should be utilized. They're only gonna have that platform for a certain amount of time, depending on who they are, and they have the ability to make change, and whatever that change is, whether it's social justice, whether it's racism, inequality, whether it's women, and I'm not just talking about male athletes, we're talking about female athletes too. You know, I have a female athlete who's fighting for equality in in pay, which is huge for us, you know, as women, you know. Right now we're fighting systemic racism, but before we started fighting that, we've been fighting for the past few years for gender equality too, when it comes to women in the workplace. And especially in sport, there's that fight that's still going on that is kind of taking a back seat to what's going on in our society at the moment, but there's still that fight to fight and to win. And when female athletes have the ability to do that because of their platform to fight for that, more power to them. And it's like I said, it's not just about male athletes standing up there and taking a political stance. It's female athletes, too. And there's so many causes out there that we need that equality. So what do you say to fans who think that these athletes who work for private companies should not be taking a stand, quote unquote, while on company time? Yeah, I know. That's a sticky question right there because it is company time, right? Right. I feel a little different about that because I feel that athletes have a voice and you give them that voice the minute you let them set on that field. And to tell them they don't have a voice is really oppressive. I think there's a happy medium, right? Because if we're talking about speaking out, we're talking about kneeling on the field because that's really where all the controversy has come from. And the kneeling on the field was never meant to be a disrespect of the flag or a disrespect of the national anthem. What it really was, was a silent way to protest. And now we see a huge 360 from the NFL on, you know what, we were wrong, we handled this poorly with Colin Kaepernick. For the NFL to come out and state that they did something wrong, and they're the hugest entity in sports as far as I'm concerned, clearly I think it was mishandled. And as many Americans don't agree with it, because somehow they still have it etched in their minds that it's a disrespect to the flag and the national anthem, I ask them to sit down and learn why and how Colin Kaepernick came to do what he did. And he was advised by an army veteran to instead of sit, kneel, because that showed respect. 
while he was protesting. And that's how it was initiated, because initially he was sitting and he had some influence from an army veteran who was a close friend of his to instead of sit kneel. So when a person who served this country gives you information for a sign of respect and you do it and then you're told by the country it's disrespectful, there's a little confusion there, right? Everybody's gonna have their opinions, Danielle. We need to agree to disagree. That's the beauty of this country. But at the same time, when someone tells you their intentions and you refuse to listen to them, that's not fair either. So, I mean, I'm asking, I'm answering a long answer to your short question. Mm-hmm. Um, do I agree with the kneeling or being able to protest on company time? I think it's a sticky, it's a sticky question and a sticky answer. But what I do agree with is people being able to voice their opinions in a manner that is not disrespectful and that is not divisive. And I believe that's what Colin did. And I believe that's what athletes continue to do to create social justice and and equality and be able to be heard. Well, Denise, we can go and talk about the U.S. soccer, how they incited their shirts out and the stars were still showing, but the U.S. soccer logo wasn't. Right. Yeah, I mean, look, athletes are people too. Athletes have amazing opportunities. Some of the most smartest people I know, one in particular, Benjamin Watson, is a huge social activist. He's also an NFL player. He's one of the smartest guys I know. He'll probably be senator or president one of these days, I have no doubt. And he's used his platform very wisely. He speaks at hearings. He, spe- he speaks all over the country. To be able to use your voice and utilize that platform, right? That platform was given to you. It's an honor to have it is given to you and utilize it because yeah, you can shut up and not say anything. Who's that really healthy? As long as it's constructive and it's for the greater good of the communities and whatever community that is that you're fighting for, whether that's women's equal rights or gender equality, race equality, whatever it is that you're fighting for, you should be allowed to do that. And then I think that this movement that we're seeing today is a reflection of so many people not feeling that they had a voice. I would like to move on to this movie that's coming out about you called uh, the working title is The Fixer, but Denise, sometimes when I interview athletes at the end, I'll ask them questions like, you know, rapid fire questions like, who who would play you in a movie? But you actually have Jennifer Aniston set to play you in this upcoming movie, the Jen Aniston. Did you get to choose her? No, she chose me. Uh, well, let me take that back. I met with her and she asked if I would like to have her play me. You know, what do you say to Jennifer Aniston? No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, It was a three-hour meeting I had at her manager's office when I first met her, and she just asked me a thousand questions, and then at the end said, you know, I'd love to be able to play you. I hope you'd consider me, and I'm like, you know, well, sure, you know, and and then I left the meeting, and I got down into the lobby, and I thought to myself, who can I call that's going to believe this? I just met with Jennifer Anderson for three hours and she has to play me in a movie. Who can I call that that will believe this? But funny enough, things have changed a little bit. Not only are we doing a movie, but we're also, we signed to do a TV show. And the TV show is a little bit different than the movie. It's more about my work rather than about me personally. And uh, that seems to be moving a little bit quicker. And that's going to be for, we have a signed deal with Apple right now. So yeah, yeah. But Jennifer's production company is producing it as well. So we've got a couple things in the works, movie and TV show, and super excited about both and honored. Again, I'm the girl that's usually behind the scenes and not necessarily comfortable in front, but I'm I'm taking it with a grain of salt and, and enjoying the process. And it's a slow one and excited to see what transpires. Well, when can we expect to see one or both of them? Well, um, due to COVID-19, we have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) 
They were gonna start trying to cast the show this year and uh, start filming the end of this year, but that has now been put on hold. So probably not. A, the the movie won't be for another couple of years. I, it, that's a slow process. But the TV show, hopefully by next year. So I've read that uh, you were 1994's Miss Oregon USA, and. Oh, Lord Jesus. Miss Congeniality, so maybe Sandra Bullock would have been a better choice. You know, everybody says that with a joke and a, and a, and a laugh behind it. I love Sandra. As a matter of fact, when they were looking for actresses um, uh, to play me, um, I, of course, was like, Sandra Bullock, Sandra Bullock. She had looked at the script and said it was too close to Blindside. She'd already done something, not necessarily similar, because my story isn't a Blindside story, but because it involved a woman and an athlete, she felt like it was just, my, they say my story is more like Blindside meets Jerry Maguire meets Aaron Brockovich. It's like a combination of all three. But because of that, Julia Roberts and Sandra Bullock are out. And again, when I met with Jen, I just fell in love with her. And she asked me, which was so surreal. And I said, yes. Wow, that's very cool. So I, I saw a quote that you said that people don't people know about the movie because it was all over the news. But because it hasn't come out yet, my life hasn't changed much. How do you think your life's going to change? Um, I don't know. I, I hope not too differently because I like my anonymity and I like working behind the scenes. I mean, granted, there might be some people that, because they're not really going to see me in the show. They're going to see Jennifer in the show, right? I mean, I don't know. I'm not too sure. I'd love to do more speaking opportunities. And I think that might, it might afford me to speak more on women in, the, in a male dominated industry, women in the workforce, promoting women, quality. Uh, so maybe it'll, it'll help me do some more speaking engagements, but I, I truly hope it doesn't change my life very much because I really like how my life is now. We'll see. I, I you know, I, I got a chance to talk to Erin Brockovich a little bit and her life really did change quite a bit. So she's kind of given me a little information on how to be careful about those changes, good and bad. Super smart woman. So I'm, I'm trying to take some knowledge from her. Like what kind of stuff has she said? Just stuff about, you know, to be wary of and, and make sure that you have the right people in place to represent you. They buy your rights and you know and, and luckily I work in a legal aspect in the sense of for a lot of the crisis management so I already had great attorneys put in place and there's a lot of stuff that she didn't know because she didn't work in an industry like this you know and just making sure that you keep everything close to home your family your friends keep those people that loved you before it happened close to you those are the people that are gonna love you regardless and that's super important is having a small knit group of family and friends that are supportive and, and love you no matter whether you have a TV show or a movie or not. Denise, I found some quotes in the many articles I scanned from some of your clients. How would you respond, just quickly, to each of the three? I've got Tyron Matthew saying, she's kind of like the mother I, I never had. Oh, well, that's super sweet. He's just, uh, he's just a wonderful person, and I truly appreciate him thinking that, and I hope that I take care of him as well as he had hoped when he hired me. Number two, Deshaun Jackson says, <laughs> this is a little bit funnier, he said, that woman stays on a brother. She don't let nothing slide. <laughs> well, that's just very true. Very, <laughs> very true. <laughs> the third and final one is from Ephraim Salam, and he said, I was an O-lineman and a Muslim, but she knocked on every door for me and probably busted a few down while she was at it. Which is very true. I, I mean, I, when I first got Ephraim, I was very brand new in the business, and he was an offensive lineman, and there wasn't a lot out there for an uh, offensive lineman. I told him, I said, you believe in me, I'll believe in you. I'll go knock those doors down and get you in, and then you do the rest. And we worked as a really great team. He's still a client of mine. If the NFL called 
and created for you a position in the league office to do just what you're doing, but in the whole scale NFL. But they said to you, you have to dissolve your company. Would you do it? No. <laughs> no, because I love my company. I worked so hard. I would certainly consult with the NFL. It'd be an honor to work with the NFL and consult. Absolutely, I'd certainly consider it. But I mean, I never say never. But right now, I've worked way too hard and, and have the ability to move the way I want to move and do the things I want to do with the clients that we have and certainly wouldn't want to be restricted. Not saying that the NFL would restrict me. I hope that they would take my advice. That's why they hired me. But I think it would be hard to dis it's not even really about working for the NFL because I really respect the NFL. It's about dissolving a company that I worked, you know, 24, 25 years to build, which is my baby. So right now the answer would be respectfully no. Denise, my final question is, what advice would you give to your younger self? Um, I would say nothing's going to be easy, but as long as you work hard and you have the tenacity and the love for what you do, you will be successful and to not take no for an answer to not give in and sometimes it takes a little bit extra of a fight to get what you want out of life keep going like people see the good that you're doing and you'll be rewarded eventually don't think that it's gone your hard work will go unnoticed Denise thank you so much I appreciate your time thank you so much for having me I, I really appreciate your time and your interest hope I was able to answer the questions effectively for you and, and make it a, a decent interview oh you were great my pleasure I appreciate you thanks for tuning into this episode of power players powered by radio.com make sure you hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so that you don't miss any upcoming episodes and throw it a rating or a comment if you're so inclined do you want to ask a question to my guest in my upcoming shows? Hit me up on Twitter at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N and Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. See you next time. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.